welcome to the fourth episode, The Lonely Years, in the series Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with Dave Kindig. I'm Sandy Magnum, and I have Dave Kindig, a leader in population health, a thought leader in population health with me today. So hi, Dave. Hi, Sandy. Good to be back and uh, moving these episodes along. Absolutely. So thanks for sharing in that third episode how that famous definition of population health from 2003 came to be, came to be and you had just finished your book, Purchasing Population Health. So it seems like you were kind of riding on a high at that time. Yet, when we talked about this time of your life, you labeled it the lonely years. So tell us more. I mean, what was happening at that time about the book and why do you say lonely? Yeah, thanks. Um, it's interesting that I chose to phrase it that way. <clears throat> and, um, and my memories aren't totally precise, but I do remember feeling I was kind of alone with these ideas. And, you know, I mean, we teach our grad students, I mean, just publishing an article or even publishing a book, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, lead to change. And of course, that's what I'm all about. So, um, yeah. Um, however, the book did get some attention, had a review in the Washington Post, sold 5,000 copies, which is not bad for that kind of book. Um, I had a Capitol briefing, Capitol Hill briefing on it, and Senator Frist introduced me and when he introduced me, he quipped, someone who has book endorsements on the back cover from both liberal Senator Russ Feingold and conservative governor and former secretary Tommy Thompson, quote, must have something going for him. So, <laughs> so that, was a, that was a little bit of a boost. Um, there had been some critique from friends in public health that it was too medical care focused and and as we said from the beginning, it did have a managed medical care origin and maybe some flavor. Um, and I mentioned last time, um, stealing, not being sometimes criticized for stealing their term public health and replacing it with something else unworthy. In 1997, I had a great platform as president of AHSR, the Forerunner of Academy Health, and in my presidential address, I identified several critical questions we need to answer as soon as possible, which included what is the optimal balance of each health determinant investment to maximize health outcomes, and what processes of social valuation can be developed to make the ethical and value choices that a resource-constrained environment improvement require. So you are, you are coming back to the fact that we don't have unlimited resources and how do we make choices? It's something you've referenced in, in previous podcasts. And so it's a theme here of, of how do we do that? And, and what are the questions to ask? Yeah, and some people, um, <laughs> some people think I'm an economist, which I'm not actually. Some people, think, <laughs> some people think I am an epidemiologist, which I'm not, I sort of, um, a little bit of a generalist, but um, clearly the economic the six months in York with the economics uh, people there 
you know, clearly was um, enhancing my already sort of practical experience about, about financial incentives. However, um, it was lonely because I gave a lot of talks about what are the social determinants and little obvious take up or policy attention at that time. Remember, this is back in 19, in, uh, in the early 2000s. Um, and the paper, the definitional paper was 2003. Um, I actually, I don't think I, I actually thought about quitting <laughs> and uh, maybe becoming a fly fishing guide in Montana or a Michigan UP wilderness real estate salesman. I, you know, I don't think I was really <laughs> about to do that, but um, I mean, that probably reflects why I chose that term lonely um, in terms of the impact um, I'm having at the time. So maybe I need to watch out when you say you're gonna take off and go to Montana to go fishing, huh? Which yeah. I think you're scheduled to do in about a month, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, no, uh, a little interesting note in my career, I was scheduled during the war to actually do my draft fulfilling service at the Rocky Mountain Disease Laboratory in Hamilton, Montana. I was oh. able to I was able to reschedule that um, to go help set up the National Health Service Corps. But if that had happened, I mean, who knows? Um, you know, that's that's yeah. life's that's life's life's corners and turns. Yeah, twist and turns. So, so. So what happened to the book's ideas during those lonely years? So you, you got in front of Congress with it and you got, you know, some some interest, at least sold 5,000 copies. But what, what happened to the ideas in the book? Well, they were very slow. I mean, those were the high points of several years. So, I mean, they were really slow in coming. Um, I had some people say we I ought to do another book, but I decided that, that wasn't worth the energy for the output, at least what I was seeing. I was still giving talks um, and I gave a what I considered quite a successful what is population health keynote to the National Rural Health Association. And, and I said to myself on the plane, if you can't do a book, you can at least summarize these slides where essentially old stuff plus the new thinking that I'd had, you know, between then um, and just write an article for the New England Journal on something called a pay for population health performance system. So this was expounding on your book, Purchasing Population Health Paying for Results. So it, it was, was yeah, that next level. But that plus additional thoughts um, in between. Um, so I did so, I wrote that article with that title. It was promptly rejected, which of course, even we distinguished professors uh, experience more frequently than our, <laughs> than our junior colleagues would, would guess. Um, and, uh, but six months later, um, the Institute for Medicine actually had a report calling pay for medical care performance and when I saw that come out, I thought, okay, there's a hook. So I added a new first paragraph uh, and called it a pay for population health performance system. And it was accepted by JAMA in three days. So that, that's, that, that's how it goes. So that certainly 
re-encouraged me to keep going on that issue um, at that point, that was 2006. You know, and I think that should encourage others who are listening to this podcast that when you have a good idea, it might just be the timing's not quite right. And so just hang on to that manuscript, hang on to that talk, hang on to those ideas. There might be an opening later as you found out with this. It doesn't always happen. I think you told me you have a whole drawer full of- I do, I do, <laughs> of un, un, unaccepted manuscripts. So yeah, and kind of as in that example, looking for a hook, you know, where all of a sudden something that might seem a little arcane or not mainline all of a sudden fits into a, a hook or a framework that somebody else put forward in this case <laughs> to make that, yeah. make that work. Yeah. So in that piece, in that uh, JAMA piece, which I, I love, uh, a pay for population health performance system, what did you identify as the main challenges that were going to be necessary for doing that? Yeah. Um, so th again, this is 2006. <clears throat> I mean, actually, recall, we just talked about in 1997, when I gave my AHSR presidential address, I was making basically the same points as I'm going to list now. So, I mean, that does show how slow it moves around. But here I said the main challenges are um, population health measures, which mortality and health related quality measures should be used, and if, how should they be combined? What about the balance between improvements in overall and average health versus reduction in disparities or variance? across groups. We're going to come again to those in, in podcast seven and eight. Then second one, financial incentives and unintended consequences. Um, we've talked about that before. Coordination across sectors. How will silos currently separated by dominant forces of culture, incentives, professionalism, and competition be linked? Um, a huge problem for not only our field, and then finally, resistance to the reallocation of resources. If reallocation is required, such as from Medicare to early childhood, for example, powerful forces within medical care will be un unleashed with predictable conflicts. The opening line of Paul Starr's social transformation is, quote, the dream of reason did not take power into account. Oh, let's move to, we've talked about a couple of your important papers and your book. Let's go to your second most cited paper after what is population health, which we discussed in episode three. So your second most cited paper was, quote, understanding population health terminology. So that sounds pretty dry. But why did you think you needed a paper like that or the field needed a paper like that? And now it's second most cited. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it did. Um, it, it has the potential of being pretty dry. Um, and, and some might still think so a bit. But it partly it started as a dictionary because at the time I was co-director of the Robert Wood Johnson Population Health Scholars Program here at UW-Madison with these amazing nationally recruited um, 
scholars from postdocs from different disciplines like epidemiology and economics and political science needing a common language. In many cases, the best and the brightest of the same term mean something else until you sort of clarify it. But to your point, I thought a dictionary alone, I started that as a dictionary, but it did seem boring. So I decided to discuss key concepts and issues along with the terms. So I used the population health 2003 model from the what is population health paper, uh, what is population health as a framework for the terms, the boxes like outcomes and determinants and policies and programs, as well as the arrows connecting them. There's a great story here. Uh, I actually, this comes back to some of the economics we were talking about before. Initially, the, I grouped the economic terms like marginal return or opportunity cost. I grouped them with the statistical ones sort of representing the arrows linking the boxes. Well, the editor liked the whole piece, but he said he didn't think the economic terms were needed. So if I delete them, he'd publish the article. Now, any assistant professor would have probably said yes um, to get published in Millbank. But as an emeritus, I pushed back and said, <laughs> they were so important to population health thinking, this idea of trade-offs that we discussed before, that I would rewrite it as an entire separate section. I did so, and they accepted it as is immediately. So another, another publishing story. All right, all right. So beyond the long list of definition, what were some of the key conceptual issues that you attempted to, to clarify as you were writing the definitions, you said you decided to discuss some key concepts. What were some of those? Right, yeah, there were quite a few. And anybody interested in this, uh, I encourage taking a look at the paper, but a couple were the importance of separating outcomes from determinants of those outcomes. I mean, to me, that just seemed a fundamental concept that some people get confused. At that time, America's Health Rankings, their ranking was blended it was a blend of outcomes and determinants. And you know that's important work that they do, but I just thought that was a confusion that was just kind of fundamental. Um, one of the most important was in the discussion of determinants, if establishing the effectiveness of any determinant or intervention is difficult, establishing the causal impact on population health outcomes per unit of resources expended is even more so and way, way more so. And then I concluded that a policy relevant comparative economic analysis of the multiple determinants of health will be the most important task of population health research in the coming decade. That was 2007. Mm. Coming back to that, uh, how are we gonna figure out the investment part. Uh, so, so David, as we wrap up um, this episode here, uh, number four, the lonely years, how did you sustain your dreams and your heart for population health during this lonely time? What, what were the professional, personal things that you did to kind of sustain, sustain yourself and, and what advice would you give to others? 
Yeah, well, it's a great question. I'm <clears throat> trying to remember more clearly back to those times. I think I did. I think I did do more fishing. <laughs> All right. And, and spent more, yeah. more, more time up in my wilderness cabin in the upper peninsula. But, um, you know, I wasn't totally alone. I mean, there were colleagues here in our Population Health Institute, um, certainly when the scholars came along, um, who um, uh, the students that I taught a class on what is on the basics of population health. I mean, those were good feedback. And then, you know, there's a few key people, some editors of certain journals that uh, seem more op open to contrarian ideas. Um, some foundation people actually at the risk of calling out one name I'll call out Pamela Russo at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, who was always a, a fellow traveler and, and actually helped provide financial support for some of the projects um, going forward, like the county health rankings. All right. Um, I think it, it's important to remind people that uh, even distinguished emeritus professors like yourself uh, have have lonely or challenging time uh, in their careers. Uh, and uh, I think people can take a lot of heart uh, from what you did during that time, as well as how you, how you persevered during that time. So let me summarize our takeaways from the lonely years. First, one is complex ideas such as paying for population health take time to gain broad understanding. Second, measures, financial incentives, coordination across sectors, important concepts are key challenges for a pay for population health model, as well as the importance of a common language and understanding across disciplines. And then third, one key takeaway that continues to surface, the challenge of balancing investments across determinants. Anything else, Dave, you wanna add? to those? No, I think that's good for, for this session. There will be more to come. All right. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being vulnerable and telling us about a lonely time in your professional life. But it does remind me about the importance of perseverance and doing some things like fly fishing, getting away to your cabin, you know, uh, restoring your soul uh, uh, during those times. Watching so. the Wisconsin women's volleyball team. All right. <laughs> um, so listeners, please join us next time for episode number five, Picking Up Steam, as we continue Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with David Kendig. I'm Sandy Magnan, I've been your host, and you can find the references for today's episode and more in the show notes at the website, uh, www.iaphs.org, Interdisciplinary Association for Population Health Science. Thank you. Bye, Thanks. Dave. Thanks, Sandy.